Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Quarantine edition week two. Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark, Pearson Fowler here as always practicing our responsible social distancing. I still miss seeing y'all's faces. It's still weird kind of talking to y'all without seeing y'all. But we're trying to be responsible and also keep pumping out compelling content because frankly, there's still plenty of things to talk about. South Carolina has a new commitment for the class of 2021 and Gamecock Central, mostly you two guys, also with the help of Colin Taylor and everybody else over there, have put together one of the most phenomenal things I have seen in terms of keeping us all entertained with fresh, original, local content as we are a little bit starved for sports right now, and that is the ultimate South Carolina athlete bracket. Who is the greatest of all time? Four quadrants, basketball, men's and women's, baseball, football, and then all the other sports in the fourth quadrant. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk specifically about the football quadrant of that bracket. But before we get started, any updates from y'all's lives in terms of living the quarantine social distancing life? Not not much here, man. I mean, it's uh, I guess we've all sort of settled in uh, to the routine, um, trying to stay in as much as possible. I have still got it, gotten some to-go orders at times. Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of a that, – that's the weird thing. It's kind of a weird mix. Like, you're you know, you're supposed to stay home, but you're supposed to – try to support local businesses too so there's a little bit of a uh disconnect there i feel like but but yeah it's been um it's been weird but um it's almost like uh we've sort of settled into it i think chris anything new in your world no man it's been uh you know as we discussed last time i think wes and myself we're we're both used to working from home but uh, we both like to get out and things like that and no problem on this end not getting out been you know I've, I've been honestly keeping so busy that i've gotten up in the mornings and then i look up and it's like six o'clock at night and uh, I, f- I feel just as busy uh, as you know in the past we've still been you know cranking out content as much as we possibly can and with the kids at home and doing school and all that and we've been you know we've been cooking all our meals for the most part at some point we'll get out a little bit more for the most part we've been cooking so it's been busy and um yeah, I'm just hoping that we can all do our part and uh, maybe have football later this year. That would be good, but we'll just have to see how it goes. Yeah, fingers crossed on that. Uh, like you said, it's still been busy. We have plenty of football things to get to, and uh, y'all, y'all both sound good. You sound well. You don't sound like you've started to go stir-crazy yet. Uh, I was working from home into last week, beginning of this week, and I, I can see how people would start to get a little bit stir-crazy. I've been coming back into the studio. Um, for reference, I'm the only one, so... Definitely practicing social distancing. There's basically nobody else in our building, much less in our studio. So I'm, I'm pretty much quarantining myself here uh, in the podcast studio. Uh, as I mentioned, a little bit of football news, still some recruiting updates. I love that even though no official visits are allowed to happen, either hosting kids on campus or going to see kids at their respective schools, where they also are not right now because schools are closed pretty much around the country and certainly here uh, in South Carolina, also in Georgia. South Carolina still got another commitment. Marcellus Dial from 
Milledgeville, Georgia, uh, class of 2021. He's a, a, actually a JUCO kid, but he's a cornerback. Uh, Wes, you did your write-up, uh, the inside the commitment on the Insiders Forum on Gamecock Central, so give me the skinny on Marcellus Dial. Yeah, originally from Woodruff, um, South Carolina, Woodruff High. Um, you know, this is a kid without going into the details that um, – been through a lot in his life has sort of had to persevere and um, needed a stint at JUCO out of high school, but um, really has just worked hard, man, and um, really earned everything he's gotten. Um, I was told he is uh, probably the hardest worker on that uh, Georgia military team that, you know, he's a kid that's athletic, long, um, has some physicalness to him, has some physicality, is is a guy that – you know, I think really just fits athletically what South Carolina is looking for at um, the defensive back spots, you know, in their defense. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if he's necessarily a uh, a difference maker per se, like, you know, a high five-star guy once he gets, uh, you know, gets an evaluation. He's not yet been ranked by rivals. But I think this is a solid pickup for South Carolina, somebody with some upside. And um, there, there's actually an interesting connection there. Um Tremaine Tyler, who um, a lot of people will remember, played defensive back for South Carolina um, back, uh, I believe that was Holt's era. Um, he's actually the defensive backs coach there at uh, at Georgia Military. So there is sort of a South Carolina connection there. And the kid, um, you know, the kid told us he just, uh, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer. Obviously, a lot of people have asked, well, how, you know, how are, how are people still getting commitments right now? And I, I think it's a lot of times it's when the kid sort of already knows where he wants to be. And, and in the case of him, you know, South Carolina offered sort of firmed up that they wanted him. And um, he really saw no need to wait. This is one of those things where he had been working to try and get an opportunity to play college football um, at home. And this was kind of like a dream come true scenario for him. Yeah, when you look at his rival page, it's a little bit sparse. You know, the only school that's listed as having interest or having offered him is South Carolina. There's not a whole lot of stuff, and as I mentioned, obviously, a, a JUCO guy, so no stars, hasn't been scouted yet, I guess, is what I've learned in the last couple of weeks that means, but other than like the pre-existing relationship, which would certainly make sense that South Carolina would be a front-runner for him, well, what's what's the story in terms of other offers that maybe would have come to fruition, that didn't come to fruition, or, or you know, why was this not a guy that was sought after you know, coming out of high school or even now as he's leaving junior college that South Carolina sees in him that's worth giving him a scholarship offer at this point? Uh, well, I think, Wes, if you don't mind my jumping in, um, yeah, you know, it was, a priori- it was a priority for South Carolina to, you know, sign a junior college defensive back, a cornerback specifically in this class because, you know, you look at it for the 2020 season and South Carolina returns some guys there, most notably, you know, J.C. Horn and Israel McQuamu, wherever he does end up playing. But J.C. Horn will certainly be one of South Carolina's corners and he'll be a junior. And uh, you, don't, you, you don't have to know a ton to know that J.C. Horn's going to have an opportunity to go play in the NFL at some point, and maybe that'll be after this season as a draft-eligible junior. And so you look at that and, and sort of planning for that contingency, you never know how it's going to go. You look and say, okay, there's some young guys on the roster, but hey, let's take a let's take a guy out of the junior college ranks that may be able to come in and and help us out. You know, in in terms of offers, you know, I, I think you look at the fact that you look at DJ Daniel, um, you know, who came out of Georgia Military, and he was a guy that South Carolina offered in May 
of 2018. So Daniel was in the 2019 class. So he didn't get offered until I think May, late April or early May. Um, and I feel like, you know, at the time he had like a Troy offer. So not a lot of people Well, DJ Daniel ended up having a bunch of schools, including Georgia, jump in on him, committed to Carolina and Georgia ended up flipping him. He was a Georgia, you know, guy. And so, you know, to some degree, even though we're in, um, you know, March now, later March, it's still a little bit early for some junior college guys. There's some guys out there that have a ton of offers, but we haven't even had that spring evaluation period, and we're not going to have it until a while at least. We, we don't know how that's going to play out, but that spring evaluation period that's typically from April 15th to May 31st is a time where a lot of these college coaches go out to these junior colleges. They can watch their practices. They can check on their grades because that's obviously a big, sometimes an even bigger component at JUCO. And then they can go ahead and extend offers. And, you know, DJ Daniel last cycle, or in the 2019 cycle, rather, he picked up his offer during the evaluation period. Travis Robinson went to his practice, scouted him, all that stuff. So um, things are just a little bit different right now. I mean, you know, could there have been a chance that if things were normal that South Carolina would have waited, scouted him one more time? But they have seen him, and they have plenty of connections over at Georgia Military where they can learn things about the kid. There was a need there. They like what they've seen. Uh, they got some people they can talk to on them. So from that standpoint, it made sense. But I just wanted to explain a little bit of maybe the the backstory on why, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of these things, how this one played out relative to some other instances in the past. He's listed at 5'11", 177 right now. I don't know how uh, updated that is, but not exactly the prototypical Will Muschamp defensive back where you feel like all those guys are 6'1", 6'2", a little bit bigger, a little bit bulkier, especially with Will Muschamp liking to cross-train those guys at both corner and safety. Does he project to be just a corner? You think Carolina will try him at safety? Is he a corner nickel type? Is he a safety corner type or just a pure corner? Yeah, I'll get in. I, you know, I think you say this fully knowing that Will Muschamp and company are probably going to cross-train pretty much everybody so I don't I don't think you can accurately say that he couldn't end up helping out at another position I think I think you know it's one of those things where um, you sort of each year you look at what you have at each position and you look at getting the best five on the field so that um, that part will never change Um, that being said from everything I've heard, um, and Chris can hop in too, from everything I've heard, he's coming in as a cornerback first and foremost. Uh, the circumstances all, you know, make that change potentially. All That's always the case. But specifically with this case, um, he's coming in as a corner. And, you know, his, his exact height is, is also something that um, we probably need to try to get verified. I, I know he, he's been listed at, at 6'1", some places, um, he's listed at 5'11 on uh, on GMC's roster on on their site. Um, so I'd imagine at some point at some point that number was fairly official, um, you know. But I, like you said in the beginning, we're still sort of learning about Marcellus Dial and and like Chris said, and I think it's important to remember. You know, I think people that don't really follow recruiting very closely, you know, you hear a junior college kid, you think, um, you know, this guy's going to be here. Some I saw some people even commenting that you know he might be here to help this season, but these these guys we're already in class of 2021 for the recruiting cycle. So these JUCO kids they've only had one season to show 
what they're capable of. So, so there's obviously some no-brainer types, like Chris said, that already have offers and everybody already knows who they are. But um, for a lot of guys at JUCO, the spring evaluation period is, is massive. And, and like Chris said, you're not going to have that. So um, you're either going to have one of two things will happen, is that coaches will just have to trust their their information, trust what they see on film, trust what they're getting from the coaches at those schools, and go ahead and, and make a move like South Carolina did in this case, or you're going to see a lot of offers get pushed back. And, and senior years for high school kids, I think, and sophomore years for JUCO kids will now mean way more than they once did, I think, because you know before a, a lot of times guys already had the offers before they got into their final year either of high school or JUCO. South Carolina has already nabbed a couple of commitments since the since the NCAA sort of shut everything down. And again, that's not I'm not, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, they they did this. It's again, you can text people, you can email people, you can I don't know if they're allowed to FaceTime. I don't know if they have like legislation in place for that or, or what the legislation for that that may be in place is. Uh, but point is, South Carolina has already gotten a couple commitments in the last couple weeks. Given how much the calendar has changed, given that this is now all the coaches really have the opportunity to do, and I know this is kind of fluid. We talked about this last week. Is there anybody else that you think that Carolina will be hearing from before we do our next podcast next week? Um, you know, I'm trying to think about the timeline. You know, there's there's nothing imminent. The, the thing about it, man, is that you look and, um, you know, I, I don't know that in terms of timeline, like Colton Gothier, you know, who talked about last week, we, we expected – at, you know, when he actually went ahead and committed, we, we knew it was coming. But the actual timing of it, you know, once we did hear word that it was going to happen, it's sort of like, okay, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't like it was scheduled a month out, you know. And so same deal with Dial. It sort of came out of nowhere. You know, it was a guy that, you know, was going to, you know, visit this spring. And, and then obviously all this stuff happened with spring visits and stuff. And you thought things were probably going to be on hold with the kid for the reasons that we already outlined, you know, the evaluation period and all that. And then it happened. So uh, there, there, there are some guys that I feel like South Carolina's, you know, maybe positioned well with. Um, the momentum has picked up a, maybe a little bit more than anticipated in terms of landing some commitments. I thought it was potentially going to be very slow particularly when this stuff came up about not being able to visit coaches, not being able to go on the road for a while and things like that. So uh, nobody that's completely imminent, I'd say that there is a chance of a guy or two maybe into early April, um, but, but nobody I'd call a lock or nobody that's uh, scheduled, I guess you could say right now, Wes, unless you can think of somebody I'm leaving out. No, I think it's like you said, um, there's some guys that maybe watch, but, Nothing that's just locked in that we already, you know, are completely anticipating, I guess, is probably the best way to say it. Well, if anything does happen, GamecockCentral.com is going to be the place to find it when it breaks. And obviously, Wes and Chris and I will be here every Wednesday on another Carolina podcast to uh, break it down. And like I said earlier, still plenty of content. I've been really appreciative that we have had a couple of commits to have some real actual football things to talk about. And if y'all don't want to miss any of that, uh, GamecockCentral.com, make sure that you subscribe to that. And also give you access to the Insiders Forum where you can ask us questions for these uh, for these podcasts as we enter the offseason and especially now an unusual offseason with the quarantine. We're going to lean on y'all as much as possible to just kind of see what y'all are interested in, see what y'all uh, want to know. We are going to get to a few of y'all's questions here in just a second. But the other fun thing that's going on on GamecockCentral.com right now, and you don't even have to be a subscriber to participate in this, is your March Madness-style bracket of the greatest South Carolina athletes of all time. 
broken up into four quadrants, as I mentioned earlier. We're going to focus specifically on the football quadrant. And Wes, I, I want to ask you first. I'm very curious, as someone that does a similar thing to you, I, I consider you all reporters and journalists. I consider myself an entertainment. But at this point, we're all kind of trying to be creative in terms of generating compelling sports content. So what was your process uh, you and your coworkers over at Gamecock Central, in terms of developing this list specifically for the 16 football players that you put in the top left quadrant of the bracket. Yeah, um, well, we'll we'll give all the credit um, or the blame, um, according to a few reactions I've seen on Twitter, to Colin Taylor. Um, he is he is the brainchild behind the bracket. Um, basically, what we did is he he put together pretty much the entire thing and then sent it out to us and said, who, you know, who needs to move up, who needs to move down. I think we, um, I think we both had some feedback. My, uh, do, do you have it pulled up right now? Pearson? I do. Um, I, what, what is Marcus Lattimore again? What seed Marcus is Lattimore is a four seed. Four. Okay. Yeah. I think my one bit of feedback was um, to have Lattimore higher. He, he wasn't a four seed. Initially, um, I think Chris's feedback was, what was it to add? Um, was it Norwood that was missing initially? Yeah, yeah. Or, Eric Norwood was a guy that, yeah, he was a guy that I sort of, I guess you could hypothetically stand on the table for. He, um, he stood on his uh, quarantined table. It was Lysol and, and all that. So, Yeah, um, but yeah, so... I think that that was kind of it. I mean, I mean, for the most part, Colin did the work. I, I tell you, the biggest, the feedback we've gotten, the most sort of one we've heard the most on, has been Connor Shaw. I believe is a six seed, which has upset a lot of folks. And um, <laughs> and on the basketball side, B.J. Mackey, you know, all-time leading scorer being a nine seed, which hmm. which some of that is B.J. Mackey himself. Um, took issue with that lightheartedly on Twitter, but uh, the issue with that one is that it's it's men's men and women's basketball, you know, combined. So could could you could you put you know could you make an argument that Mackey still should be higher? Absolutely, but you're you know you're pulling from a, a pool of of players that are you know really I I think you could have made a case for for even doing a a men's basketball and a women's basketball separate regions as you know, especially as as good as the girls players are on there. But um I, I think we wanted to the thought process was that we wanted to include some of the better players from other sports as well. So y'all have already done a lot of the I guess relitigating of seeds and things like that. Obviously, a bunch of work went into it on the front end, and I'll have to ask Colin tomorrow. We're going to do another episode of the hard foul, and he and I were going to focus a little more on on the basketball. But since this is his brainchild, I will ask him about sort of the entire process of seeding everybody. But it, y'all have already done the hard work in terms of selecting the seeds, and we could quibble about who goes where until we're blue in the face. But what I kind of wanted to do today, there are three of us, so anytime we vote. There is going to be a winner, and there's going to be a loser. So we're going to do this democratically. We're going to go through each matchup. We're going to discuss it, and we're going to pick a winner. We're going to pick which football player is going to represent or is going to be represented in the final four of this bracket. Before we start, do you have any qualms, anything that you want to get out of the way, anything that you want to add to the process in terms of how we discuss and pick winners in this? I'm good. You good, Chris? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm good. Just, you know, everybody, you know, each person might have uh, his own set of criteria, and that's uh, that's a good thing. That's, part that's of perfect. And we don't even need a tiebreaker again because there are three of us. So we'll just get started with the one seed versus the 16 seed, George Rogers versus Steve Tannehill. This is a no-brainer. This is why it's a one versus 16. But as far as one sixteens go, this feels pretty close. So Tannehill is a guy, obviously he did some really good things on the field, but he's sort of – He's he's sort of like a little bit like Steven Garcia, you know, and Garcia obviously did some really good things too. I mean, he's the quarterback on the, the only SEC Eastern Division winning, you know, team in school history. And, you know, Garcia, obviously his career did not go, especially at the end, how people envisioned. Um, and Tannehill, you know, there's there's just a lot of different things. His personality you know, the, the iconic sort of some of the antics against Clemson, you know, how he's stayed connected to the university. I think all those things are, um, you know, sort of maybe up him in the eyes even of Gamecock fans. If he was just sort you know, if he had the personality of someone like, I don't know, like Phil Petty, I mean, maybe he's not as highly thought of. And, and I'm not taking away anything from, you know, the on-field accomplishments, obviously quite good for Steve Tannehill too, but I think his personality has weighed into it, you know, a lot. Similar to how, you know, we think Marcus Lattimore is a guy, outstanding player on the field. One one of the greatest players, really, if you're talking about guys in college football history, Marcus Lattimore is, is probably up there on that list, even with the shortened career, but his personality and the type of person he is, you know, the unique personality, I think that, that makes people stand out. But I, yeah, I'd have to go with George Rogers here. I mean, Heisman Trophy, you know, first rounder, amazing career in college. I think that's uh, it, you're right. It does feel closer, but I think George Rogers has got to be the clear winner. Wes, any case for Steve Tannehill here? Obviously, great in his own right. There's a reason that he's a 16 seed. That means, in the opinion of those that made this bracket, i.e., <clears throat> you guys over at Gamecock Central, he's one of the 16 best South Carolina football players of all time. So no slight, especially not losing to the Heisman Trophy winner, George Rogers. But any case you want to make for Tannehill here or just Rogers all the way? Yeah, no, I mean, um, I'll say I, I think um, I think Chris downplayed his numbers a little bit. I mean, the guy did pass for over 8,500 <laughs> yards and threw 61 touchdowns. Like, I mean, his, his yeah, numbers yeah. are up there. But, but dude, yeah. George, Big George's numbers – are just insane. I mean, yeah. rushed for 5,000 yards in his career. Um, obviously won the Heisman. <laughs> there, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, obviously, I think, as far as the vote goes. But, mm-hmm. yeah, Big Big George is the one seed for a reason. There's no, uh, there's no Cinderella upset on this one. Steve Tannehill, vanquished. George Rogers moving on. Next up, and I'm not going, like, actually down the bracket. I'm just reading. Y'all have these nice little write-ups down there, too. And, by the way, y'all, again, Check this out on GamecockCentral.com. Uh, next up, the two-seed, Jadavian Clowney versus the 15-seed, Debo Samuel. We had Chris on the halftime show on 107.5 The Game yesterday, and I said that this is maybe one that smells like a potential upset just because as great as Jadavian Clowney was, maybe I think you can make a really compelling argument that he is the most talented football player to ever pass through the University of South Carolina. And Carolina fans appreciated that. But Carolina fans did not love and do not love Jadavian Clowney in the same way they do Connor Shaw, Marcus Lattimore. And I would say for some, even Debo Samuel. Certainly some recency bias there. Uh, Debo Samuel, Samuel obviously having a great start to his NFL career, which I think 
makes for another interesting case because people have just seen a lot of Debo lately. It's all embrace break Jerry Rice's rookie record at uh, in, uh, over in San Francisco. I think this is pretty close. I still think the correct answer is Clowney. But if we're just talking about a fan vote, I would not be surprised to see the people voting on this make it pretty close between Debo and Jadavian, and maybe even an upset. People love Debo. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, people do love Debo. And, um, you know, I think it's just the progression that he showed as a player. Some of the plays that he made um, have sort of become ingrained in Gamecock fans' mind. And there's also, you know, not that this is a bad thing, but the recency bias maybe plays in a little bit here because we we just saw him do these things, you know, a year ago. Um, and then we saw him, you know, get drafted by the Niners. And then we saw him play in the Super Bowl, you know, and have a nice rookie season. And so those things all weigh in. You know, if a guy has a really, really solid college career and then he just, uh, you know, maybe doesn't get drafted higher, doesn't do a lot as a rookie, you know, maybe he fades away a little bit. But everything's so recent with Debo um, and just the, the amount of things he could do, whether it was on special teams as a returner or even a gunner, you know, uh, some of the plays he made. I mean, you think back to that game, South Carolina lost, but he had a huge game against Clemson a couple years ago. Um you know, just just a lot that he did. But Clowney, I mean, Clowney's just so, almost one of those sort of larger-than-life guys because, I mean, he was the number one recruit in the country. He picked South Carolina. He was outright dominant. He made plays that won South Carolina games. I mean, individual plays um, that he made. He's gone on to a, a successful, lucrative NFL career as well. So I'd still have to go with Clowney, you know, just because – you know, the factors that I laid out. But it as far as a two fifteen seed, it is pretty close in my mind. But you're picking Clowney. Yeah. Yeah. Wes, are you gonna pick the upset here? No, I c I can't. I mean I want to, but but Clowney is it's not it's not just the numbers, man, and I, I know um the numbers his junior year weren't uh you know, as up there as as, as a sophomore, but but just the amount of attention that opposing um, offenses had to pay to Javion Clowney, um, the amount of game playing that went into making sure he didn't beat you, um, the ability for him to help the other guys, um, you know, get one-on-one matchups on the defensive line, um, you know, Clown and this takes nothing from Debo. I mean, De- I, I love Debo. Debo was amazing, but. Um, He's just matched up with Jadavian Clowney, so uh, I, I got to go Clowney here. If y'all are both going Clowney, I'm going to throw a vote Debo's way just for posterity. I, I'm taking notes right now of how these results are going and what the vote breakdown is, and I guess I'll post it in the thread when we post it on Gamecock Central or something like that. But just so that the record shows that Debo Samuel is deserving of a vote, kept the game close. You know, maybe this is a tie game with two minutes to go, but then – Jadavian Clowney reeled off eight straight points and ended up winning it. Just want to make sure that the final score pays respect to everything that Debo Samuel did for South Carolina and how strongly Gamecock fans feel about him. Next up, we have the three-seed Sterling Sharp against the 14-seed Dell Wilkes. Chris, this is a, an interesting case. We have some of these that are old school versus new school. This is a couple of old school guys, and so I think for the people that got to watch Sterling and got to watch Dell around the same time in the mid-'80s, this will be a very interesting matchup. I unfortunately didn't get to see either of these guys in person. Which way do you lean on this? 
Yeah, I'm with you in that I uh, didn't get to see these guys in college, you know, didn't didn't watch them in person. But uh, I got to go with Sterling Sharp, you know, um, again, the, the, the excellent pro career, you know, is sort of a, a side note or something that you can keep in mind. But this is a guy that if you talk to a lot of people who are around the program or around college football at that time, long time people who've been around, they just absolutely rave about Sterling and just how talented he was. And, uh, you know, the other thing is Brett Favre has said in the past that Sterling Sharp is one of the best receivers he's ever played with. Um, he lumped Robert Brooks, another Gamecock guy, in that category as well. But uh, he, he just he was just amazing, you know, with some of the stuff he could do. So uh, taking nothing away from Dell, he, he's a consensus All-American. There's not, not many of those out there at the school, um, but I'd have to go Sterling for sure. I think just four, right? And I don't know if Sterling was one of them. I know Dell Wilkes was one. Obviously, George Rogers was one. Mm, I don't remember the other two, but I think there have only been four. Uh, Wes, I don't know if yeah. you know the exact number on that, uh, but are you also going to go Sterling despite Dell being one of the cons- – actually, and Sterling may be one of the other consensus All-Americans. I'm not sure. Which way are you going on this, Wes? Yeah, Dell Wilkes does get um, bonus points for being a very successful professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's from Columbia, Irmo grad, um, trying to throw as many bonus points his way as possible. But man, the, the, pro- the problem with our first round here is that some of the better seeds, I mean, Rogers, Clowney, Sterling Sharp, um, I mean, God, the, these guys are the absolute cream of the crop. And there's a reason why they're seated as highly as they are. So I got to go Sterling as well. Jay Phillips and I had a conversation about Sterling Sharp, I don't know, a couple of months ago. I guess it was towards the end of the football season because we were trying to figure out where Brian Edwards fits in the pantheon of great South Carolina wide receivers, of which there have been many. And he said, Sterling Sharp, number one, no question. I said, what about Alshon? What about Sidney Rice? Brian Edwards has all these records. I didn't earnestly think that Brian was necessarily number one. Certainly deserves to be in the discussion for top five or so. But Jay, you know, listening to Jay tell it, he was basically just – deluxe Debo Samuel and so while I wish I got to watch him and I can't speak from personal experience watching him it sounds like that's the right pick but again I want the score to be a little bit closer in this you took my uh what what was going to be my uh I guess deciding factor was Del Wilkes having the professional wrestling career that Sterling Sharp did not so that helps uh, give Del the advantage and also I had a chance to talk to him for a long time for the Black Magic podcast that I did for those of you that haven't listened to it um I think it's really cool I'm not taking credit for it because it's all the stories of the players and coaches that made that 1984 football season happen. And listening to Dell talk about that season for, you know, two and a half hours was pretty spectacular. Very entertaining guy. Incredibly nice. Like him a lot. So I'm going to throw a vote Dell's way just so that this one finishes 2-1 as well. But Sterling Sharp is going to win this 314 battle. Next up, Marcus Lattimore, the four seed, against the 13 seed Eric Norwood. Chris's uh, I guess late nomination for someone that got left off the initial list. Does that mean, Chris, that you were going to pick Eric Norwood to upset Marcus Lattimore? <laughs> no, man, I, I can't do that. Um, look, I was looking over the list, and I would probably have, depending on where Norwood's seated, I would pick him actually over a few on this list that would possibly surprise some people, or I would at least think about it hard. I can't place him over Marcus Lattimore because – the guy on the other side is Marcus Lattimore. Um, but Norwood, I mean, this guy, Lee, he's the, the school record holder in tackles for loss and sacks, right? I mean, that's pretty good. Now, he played all four years. You know, he factored in as a freshman. 
but he was at least a two-time, if not three-time All-SEC selection. He was an All-American. Um, he actually got drafted a little bit higher than Lattimore, um, which, you know, that doesn't really matter to me for purposes of this. Just interesting side note. Uh, but, you know, the other thing, a little bit of more of an iconic thing, you know, as Colin noted in his notes here um, on the bracket challenge on Gamecock Central, he, you know, really had a, a big game in that Ole Miss contest where Sandstorm was born, you know, against, what was it, number four Ole Miss. So, uh, and Jevin Sneed. Yes, the late <laughs> Jevin Sneed, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah, he, he passed oh, away. I think it was – this year, or late last year, I can't yeah, recall. I see them. Uh, but he uh, he had a really really good career, and I feel like if Eric Norwood had played, like if he was at a later, you know, if he played in that in that golden era, uh, he was sort of right before it. And if he had played in the you know 2010 through 2013 range, I think he would be higher on some people's lists. Honestly, he was really good. wasn't a big time recruit. I think Carolina beat Oklahoma State for him out of Norcross, Georgia. He was a three-star recruit, didn't have elite measurables, but was just a really good player. But all that said, Marcus Lattimore is Marcus Lattimore. We all know what he did, what type of person he is. I'd have to vote for Marcus. Wes, I know you have appearances to keep up. I know you need the Internet to respect you and your opinion and your journalistic integrity and your intelligence, but please do it. You know you want to pick Eric Norwood over Marcus Lattimore here. There, there's no way. <laughs> Honestly, if all right, if, if this was my bracket, Lattimore is probably for me a two seed. Like, I, I don't know, just the everything that Lattimore meant to his to the program at the time and to the team and um, his leadership ability on and off the field. On top of everything he did on the field. Um, as a player, I, there there are very there are very few people you could put across from Marcus Lattimore that I would vote um, against him. So Lattimore all the way, man. So I'm looking at this blurb that y'all have here. Again, you have a little description of the head-to-head underneath all of these on Gamecock Central. I'm just going to read real quick. Lattimore uh, had one of the best freshman seasons in school history, setting the freshman record for rushing yards, 1,197, touchdowns, 19, and points scored, 114 as part of his team's SEC East Championship. Uh, injuries derailed the rest of his career, but Lattimore still holds the school record for points scored in a season, touchdowns scored in a season, and a career. His fourth all-time in total points scored, the highest position player listed, and his sixth all-time in rushing yards in a career. Before I read that, I was uh, I was thinking, I'm going to make the case for Eric Norwood because he has the counting stats, because he has, you know, as you mentioned, Chris, the school record and tackles for loss and for sacks. And as much as Marcus Lattimore is... Maybe the most important player to ever come through South Carolina's football program in terms of the impact that he had off the field as well as on the field, I was going to make the pure football argument that based on counting stats, because of Lattimore's injury-shortened career, and not even necessarily to hold it against him, but just to say, hey, what are we? What exactly are we discussing here? How are we measuring impact on the field versus impact off the field? I was going to go Norwood. And also, we, we need some upset here. We can't have this whole thing go chalk. But I didn't realize... That he still had all those things, that he was still the highest position player in all-time points scored, that he had the record for points scored in a single season, uh, touchdowns scored in a season and a career. I, I didn't realize that even still with the injury-shortened career, he had all of those. So now my statistical argument is out the window. 
and we're left with a clean sweep. Marcus Lattimore, three votes. I'm really sorry, Eric Norwood. You were one of my favorites. Still are. Uh, no votes for Norwood. 3-0 clean sweep for Marcus Lattimore. Next up. Yeah, hey, re- hey, real, real yeah. quick, Pearson. Think, think about that. Think about how how much of Lattimore's career did get taken away because of injury and the fact he didn't play a senior year. And he still has the touchdown record um, when a guy named George Rogers, who, again, like we said, rushed for 5,000 yards. That guy played for your school, and you still have the touchdown record? Like, that, that is insane. Lattimore yeah. was a touchdown-scoring machine when he was here. And he had probably, what, 20 more games to play in his career? He missed, like, four his sophomore year and another six his junior year or five his junior year and then would have played at least, you know, 11 his senior year if he had stayed. That's a lot, that's a lot of games left on the table. Yeah, it's crazy, man. He would, he would own every single record. He'd probably find a way to own all the receiving records, too, just uh, if he did what he did in that Kentucky game or the first half of that Kentucky game uh, every, every game after that. Uh, next up, we have the five-seed Alshon Jeffrey versus the 12-seed Brandon Bennett. Now things are getting interesting. Seeds obviously getting closer. Is this your first upset pick of the day, Chris? No. Uh, Bennett, obviously part of one of the more iconic moments in Gamecock history with the, the leap at Stanford Stadium with Georgia. But, no, Alshon for me is, you know, he, he's a guy that's one of the better guys in school history. I couldn't. There are not a lot of people I'd pick over him. I think he's going to make some noise in the bracket. When you think about physically dominant guys over the years, you know, we, we talked about how Clowney was the most physically gifted, dominant, you know, football player in Gamecock history. I, I don't know if anybody could even argue against that. But for me, Alshon is up there. I mean, he's in the top. He may be number two. You know, I think about Melvin Ingram. Um, you know, I think Sidney Rice, I think, is one just in the leaping ability to catch radius. But Alshon is just he, – he was a physical freak, honestly, some of the things that he could do, some of the plays he made. So I would pick Alshon. Wes, are you picking your first upset here? You know, I I think I am. Mm. Um, you Ooh. know, Alshon – I mean, everybody on this list is great. But, um, you know, the way people talk about Brandon Bennett seems like he was maybe one of the more – I don't know if underrated is the word, but you just – because he's a bit overshadowed, I think, by um, all the sort of older generation Gamecocks will tell you about George. Anybody that's a sort of newer generation Gamecock will talk about Marcus. Brandon Bennett almost gets lost in the shuffle. Um, reading the blurb, he's second all-time in you know, a career with over 3,000 yards rushing. Um he did have the iconic play against Georgia. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, Alshon's going to win the vote. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you can make a, a pretty strong case for, for Brandon Bennett here. And I, uh, as much as I like Alshon, I'm, I'm going to throw a, a, a vote at Brandon Bennett. Brandon Bennett, also the record holder for rushing yards in a single game, 278. Uh, that's a lot of yards. Unfortunately... For U.S., for anyone that's hoping for an upset, it's not going to be here. I'm going to throw my vote for Alshon. I'm going to save this side discussion for, I think, a couple weeks from now because I think two rounds from now we're going to have the opportunity to have Alshon and Sterling go head-to-head. I'm curious how that plays out because I think that a lot of people would make the case, and I think it's a good case, that Alshon Jeffrey is the greatest receiver to ever play at South Carolina. That has to get my vote. 
Alshon's going to win this one two to one. I'm really curious where the fan vote goes with this because I, I think, and this is like a little bit meta now. I, I'm, I think like the the median age of people that are going to be voting on this is probably going to be closer to people that watched Brandon Bennett that remember how electric he was, that remember that 278 yard game, and remember all of those 3,055 yards. So I'll be curious to see how close this one is. I think Alshon will win the popular vote. He's winning the vote for us here on ACP, and I really, really hope we get that Alshon and Sterling matchup in the third round. Next up, Connor Shaw, the sixth seed versus the 11 seed, Jeff Grants. Um, I will go with Connor Shaw. I mean, Grants was, uh, to pe- to hear people that really watched him back in that in that era, he was uh, he was really something else, you know, in terms of what he could do, um, and a baseball player too, um, you know. But I, I got to pick Connor Shaw. You know, the recency definitely plays into it. I'd be curious to see people who who like saw both. You know, I, I have a feeling that Connor would still be the more popular pick of people who you know live through both eras. Um, but Connor Shaw, I mean, you know, his, his record at home was Sterling. Had a really good record against Clemson. He was on some of the best teams in school history. Put up really big numbers. A leader, you know, someone who works at the university now. So I, I think he's just got a lot. He checks all the boxes to move on. I think. Wes, now is not the time to try to be discerning and and try to match up errors together. There, there is a right answer here. There haven't been a lot of right answers in this bracket challenge yet, but there's a right answer right here. Do the right thing. Connor Shaw. It's Connor Shaw. The winningest yeah. quarterback in school history. I don't know what else you need to say. It's Connor Shaw. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think some some folks, like I said, were upset about Connor being a sixth seed. Um, but, I mean, look at the guys ahead of him. You know, I mean, could you have moved him up maybe a slot or two? But, I mean, may, maybe. Um, and, and then you get into, well, what, you know, are we going on talent? Are we going on production? Or you know, there's so many different criteria you could use. Um, I think when you just see Connor Shaw six seed, you know, there's a little bit of, wait, what? But then you look at who's ahead of him, and it's like, well, you know, who who are you moving down to, yeah. to slide him up? And mm-hmm. then it comes down to are we talking about pure talent? Are we talking about what the team did when he was running the team? Or You know, I mean, there, there's so many different ways you could look at it. Well, and the other part, and, and the reason that I don't have an issue with Connor Shaw being at number six you look at the counting stats, it's not the most prolific career by a South Carolina quarterback by any stretch and in any category, but just what he provided in terms of leadership and the fact that he presided over that unbelievable, like not exactly a winning streak, but streak of winning for South Carolina, I, I think sort of puts him over the edge. I didn't watch Jeff Grant's. That was a long time ago, and full disclosure, especially for these last three, I am leaning all the way into my recency bias and my youth, so we're going clean sweep, Connor Shaw, three votes to none. Next up, Steve Wadiak versus Melvin Ingram. Steve Wadiak, the seven seed, by the way. Melvin Ingram, the ten seed. The way people talk about Wadiak, um, obviously never saw him. In- Ingram will probably win based on recency, but um, my quick answer, I know we're running out of time a little bit, would be Wadiak. Wow, Wes going with Wadiak. Not where I thought you were going. Chris, are you going to surprise me as well? No, I mean, I thought about it, and, and again, re- the bias because I just didn't see him. Uh, I recognize the accomplishments. I've I just got to go with Ingram because I saw what he did, um, the type of athlete that he was. 
played on some good teams. I got to go with Ingram for the upset. Ingram, one of the other consensus All-Americans. I honestly, again, like, I don't know. I didn't watch Steve Wadiak. I feel like these could have been flipped. When you have a guy that's one of only four consensus All-Americans in the history of the school, I feel like that's better than a 10 seed. Uh, also, one of the most memorable plays in South Carolina history. Maybe a little bit of recency bias here, but how many defensive ends do you see rumble like 60-plus yards for a touchdown on a fake punt? It's pretty spectacular. And then also to scoop up the touchdown in the end zone after Davian Clowney had the strip sack. Like one of the most memorable South Carolina games in recent history, and Melvin Ingram was the player of that game. So I'm going to go Ingram. Uh, it's 2-1. Glad we got a, a, a vote thrown Wadiak's way, but Melvin Ingram is going to move on. Our first upset of the day, uh, and last opportunity for an upset, and not a huge upset because it's 8-9, but we have the 8-seed Tommy Suggs against the 9-seed Stephon Gilmore. Um, I'm going to go with Gilmore uh, so I don't bury the lead. Uh, Tommy Suggs, um, you look, I think he beat Clemson three times in a row, so that counts for something. Stephon Gilmore, I think, helped usher in the golden era of football. He's in the 2009 class. He's a huge recruiting win. Remember him playing some Wildcat quarterback against Clemson his first year. Um, developed into one of the best. He might be the best corner in the NFL right now, and he was really good in college, too. The um, NFL thinks he's the best defensive player in the NFL right now. Yeah, yeah, obviously. So, um, and, and, you know, that's the pros. But I, I weigh that a little bit. But in terms of just – what he meant to the program and how good he was, I'm going to go with Gilmore. Wes, what's your pick here? Yeah, it's Gilmore for me too, man. I mean, um, Tommy Suggs is obviously, um, as Colin pointed out, um, led the team to a conference championship in 1969. Um, had some good numbers. Um, also had more interceptions than touchdowns, which surprises me. Uh, you know, Gilmore... I would argue probably was not as appreciated during his time at South Carolina as maybe he should have been. Uh, but I, I think we're all seeing certainly in the NFL what he's capable of. And also major bonus points because, yes, uh, yes, Marcus Lattimore was a huge get for South Carolina in recruiting. Yes, Jadavion Clowney was as well. But if you go back to the 2009 class, Really, Stephon Gilmore's commitment was the one for me that started the trend mm -hmm. of those in-state big-time guys um, picking South Carolina. I think that helped South Carolina with Devontae Holloman that year. I think, and even though Gilmore isn't that like loud, talkative guy, um, you know, doesn't quite have the personality those other guys have. He really helped South Carolina w with Marcus Lattimore. You know, as far as um, that recruitment goes, and then Lattimore uh, paid it forward and, and helped with Damian Clowney as much as he could. So to start that trend, um, Chris and I talk about this all the time. If you go to the indoor facility at South Carolina, um, there's a huge uh, mural on the sideline, and um, all those guys played for the same team. Um, you know, and, and it's all – a bunch of them are the in-state guys that were highly recruited and decided to stay home. Gilmore started the trend, and um, he, it, I would have gave him the win anyway, but if, if I needed a tiebreaker, that, that's what would have pushed him over the top for me. Well, if we are taking into consideration those sort of off-the-field kind of meta benefits to just the South Carolina football program outside of just what they do on the field for the team, he definitely gets the nod there. It was He was the first of, what was it, five straight Mr. Footballs in the state of South Carolina that, that the Gamecocks were able to keep in South Carolina, so that's tremendous. And – 
to your point about maybe not as appreciated in his time, I, I think Stephon Gilmore, for that exact reason, has had one of the more interesting careers of recent South Carolina players. He's really aged like a fine wine, and as soon as he got into the NFL, he was with the Bills, and the Bills weren't very good, and so Carolina fans almost kind of forgot about him, and he's, while he had a plenty of good years in Buffalo. No one was talking about him because he was in Buffalo. And then he goes to the Patriots and it was like, wow, the Patriots are giving him all that money. And then he got a Super Bowl ring and then he won defensive player of the year. And it's just, it goes to show as much as recency bias has been a, a crucial element of our whole conversation here. That has really impacted. I think how Carolina fans remember Stefan Gilmore. Um, not that he wasn't great in his own right, but again, like it, it was, there were so many plays where he was the last defender in the screen and Carolina fans will be yelling at him for doing whatever. When in reality, he was just covering up for somebody else's busted coverage and um, just a really interesting career, a really interesting player. Uh, I'm also going to pick Stefan Gilmore. We're going with a clean sweep, three votes to nil right here. So just to give you a quick update before we get some of y'all's questions and get out of here next week, we will have George Rogers facing Stefan Gilmore. We will have Marcus Lattimore versus Connor Shaw. Woo. That's going to be tough. Uh, Already not looking forward to picking that. Oh no, sorry. Wait a second. We have, Alshon Jeffrey versus Marcus Lattimore. Also not looking forward to picking that. Well, we will have Connor Shaw versus Sterling Sharp. We will have Melvin Ingram versus Jadavian Clowney. So those are the matchups you have to look forward to in round two. We're going to get to those uh, next week. So y'all have plenty of time to think about it. Cast your vote. Let us know where we went right, where we went, right, where we went wrong. Uh, and, of course, go vote on the actual thing on GamecockCentral.com. You can do it in the Insiders Forum or on the Fighting Gamecock Forum if you are not a subscriber to Gamecock Central, although you absolutely should be. And don't think that just because there are no sports, there's no content, because there's more content than ever. You heard Chris say off the top of the podcast, he feels like he's doing more than ever. And uh, I guess speaking of that, I mentioned the listener questions that we're going to get to on the podcast, and we're going to be doing that regularly throughout the offseason and especially throughout the quarantine. Uh, We are going to get out of here today, but we will be back. We're going to give you uh, just a little bit longer to post some more questions in that questions thread. And Wes and Chris are going to be back on a special No Huddle edition of the podcast a little bit later in the week. And Wes may have something else especially exciting uh, in the works that hopefully we'll get to later this week or maybe early next week. So y'all keep your eyes on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. We've got a bunch of content coming down the pipe. For those of you that missed it, Will Helms is back, and he is basically playing general manager for Gamecock Central. He broke down extensively the entire offensive line class for the 2020 NFL Draft. We're going position group by position group leading up to the NFL Draft. That's on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Colin Taylor and I are going to be back on the hard foul to discuss more of his bracketology for this greatest South Carolina athlete bracket, as well as wrap up the South Carolina basketball season. So plenty of content. Subscribe to GamecockCentral.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. For Wes, for Chris, I'm Pearson. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.